there are no facts, only interpretations. Friedrich Nietzsche. Bending Not Breaking, The Dragon Prince Edition. Book Two, Episode Five, Breaking the Seal. Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. This is Ben Pruitt, your host, and I am so excited because today we are being blessed by the presence of a guest. And this guest has been with us before on The Dragon Prince, and he was gracious enough to come back and join us. Friends, family, listeners, Jason Simpson, the voice of Viren, is back. Jason, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. That was quite an intro. Uh, I feel blessed uh, by that. And uh, it's uh, really wonderful to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I just, I'm so glad that we are able to make this uh, structure work for the podcast. We're going between uh, seasons of Cora, and then in the off time, as we set up for the next season, I'm able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a cool thing that we get to invest in the Dragon Prince because it is a phenomenal show. I mean, clearly we're doing, spending a lot of time with it, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, cool. So <laughs> tell me like, okay, give me like one big life update since the last time our listeners have heard from you, which is like a year ago. So give me a big life update other than, you know, COVID happening. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, still working, um, uh, which is great working through COVID. I've got my home studio. So I work here. I do a lot of teaching. Um, you know, Dragon Prince is coming back, of course. So putting some time into that, uh, they've been, the creators have been teasing uh, stuff that they've been working on. So, you know, I can't say anything about uh, anything. Sure, 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 sure. But I can say that they are working on it. And I'm part of the they. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the things that people would be interested in. Otherwise, I'm really boring. Boring is fine. We are boring. all, yeah. right? We are human. Humans are boring. It's only the Instagram like phenomena that pretends otherwise, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So uh, as far as updates go, uh, some things I'm working on that uh, I can't really talk about until they get released, but um, for sure. Yeah. Still working. So I'm happy about that. And my kids are happy and healthy. So all pretty much everything's good that's awesome i think yeah. my biggest life update is that i got a massive haircut i <laughs> i had like four pounds of hair via beard and hair and yeah. chopped it all off like a week or two ago it's a good it's a good looking head of hair though so well, thank you you know enjoy it while you have it you may have it the rest of your life of course <laughs> but as a guy who thought he would and now don't um really embrace that hair Mm. Well, that's a good perspective to take. And it, I, I think perspective, I want to lift that word up specifically because we're talking about perspective today as our lens. And I kind of want to lean on you for a little bit and mm-hmm. get your, pers- what's some life perspective or a perspective, a, a story about perspective from your life uh, that you can kind of share with us so that we can uh, learn a little bit more about what perspective is from, from your perspective. Well, you know, when I teach a lot, I teach a lot of um, voiceover. So I teach a lot of voiceover students, um, actors, people who are just starting. Um, And I see the same sort of approach that I had when I was very, very young being an actor thinking, um, I grew up in a little tiny prairie town, basically, one province over, very small. But I wanted to be an actor. I knew that from a very early age, six to nine-ish. I knew that's that's when I knew I wanted to be an actor. And my thought was, I have to move to Hollywood yeah, <laughs> uh, because that's where actors go. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue how to get there. And I remember being quite young thinking, um, there's, there's no way I can do that. That's a dream. That's a pipe dream. Uh, you know, fast forward 30 plus years later, and uh, I'm sort of living that dream 
uh, I, I still have things I want to accomplish in my career, but I realized that once I put it in perspective, the hustle that I had to put in, uh, it's not about that, um, that location that, the, you know, everyone looks at Hollywood, that's where everything happens. But as I teach more, I hear, I hear people through the years going, well, I really got to get down to LA and I got to, you know, get my career going. Uh, and I see that, I hear that excitement, but I also see this angst in yeah. these new actors. And I, and I think, listen, if, if this kid from the prairies can be here doing this, um, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a hit show and I'm on an Emmy winning hit cartoon. And I just live in a comfortable, quiet little suburb outside of Vancouver. And, uh, I have a family and I do my job and I would love to be working more, but look what I'm doing. I'm yeah. so excited about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I didn't have to go to Hollywood. And so I see that kind of uh, skewed perspective because it just comes from some ignorance. But when we, it, yeah. in the nicest sense. So, uh, you know, I just tell these, I tell these people this and they go, okay, so I'm, I can get to where I want to go from where I am. And absolutely you can. doesn't mean you won't go there. Yeah. But it's all about the hustle and uh, putting those things in perspective. That's really fascinating to, to hear that because it, it sounds like from a very early age, there was this narrative that a lot of people buy into that when you didn't have more information, you bought into it as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how our perspectives are limited by our information. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's what I'm hearing from your story is that when I have an incomplete narrative, when I have an incomplete set of information my brain is going to complete the story based off the information that i have which leads to this anxiety around having to move across the country to achieve what you want to achieve yeah move to a different country uh, exactly for yes for <laughs> for a lot of people it's moving like across the world or to a different country which is just and and not just that but it's it's you know finger quotes hollywood yes uh, and that's just an impossible, that's the impossible dream. Yeah. Uh, only certain people get to move to Hollywood and work. I've been to Hollywood many times and it's, it's no big deal. Yeah. In fact, when I'm there, it's lovely, but I want to, I can't wait to come home. Yeah. Lovely is a strong word. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that that's how I would describe it. <laughs> what? Yeah. As soon as I said it, I thought, uh, I'm just pandering to people who live there. Yeah. You, you have, there's, places in hollywood that are lovely folks so but otherwise <laughs> like, no this is not a place i would want to live yeah. <laughs> crowded uh, crowded and and a lot of fakeness and uh, anyway i'm generalizing but yeah that's so cool though to hear this because i, I want i bet that feels so liberating right oh we're so constricted by these narratives, by these perspectives that all of a sudden, like when we get information that frees us from it, it's like a burden off of our shoulders. When I, when I first started working, my agent said to me, Hey, I've got this commercial voiceover gig for you. And this is when I very, was really first started. Uh, and I, I, I had thought I would be a, a film and television actor and somehow figure out how to do voice work yeah. in LA. And uh, that, that literally, opened the door in my mind. I went, I can do voice work here. Well, of course I can. Yeah, of course. And I, I knew about studios. I knew about voice actors. I was trained by a couple of them, but it didn't really click until I got in the booth and I went, I can do this here. Yeah. And the next thing I, next thing I know, I'm, you know, working on commercials and cartoons and video games. And that whole thing just disappeared like a whole bunch of smoke. Uh, the truth was it's, mm -hmm. it's here for me to do it. And I don't have to go down there and, uh, it's a lot closer than you think it is, folks. Just, That's awesome. I don't want to say just apply yourself. There's an awful lot of work and yeah. and <laughs> luck, and, but it's available. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really great. I, I'm interested to kind of dive into these themes that we're talking about via this episode, because there's a lot of lessons to be learned about perspective in this one too, in this episode. So let's let, before we dive in, hold on. We're, yeah. we, we almost got away with not having to do the hard part, which is okay. the 30-second recap, which is, man, let me tell you, this is, I'm not great at it, uh, but. You're not great at it. Okay. 
yours was great. Like it was awesome. I laughed out loud. It was funny. (laughs) It was great. 30 seconds. It's tough, but good news is we can make it work. So Here's the deal. Do you want to go first? No. You want to go second? <laughs> okay, no, I'll go. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll go first. First means you get to like blame it on not having it fresh. Like if you like, if you go second, you already had a recap for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, uh, okay, I'll go first. All right, here uh, we go. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right, on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Viren calls a, uh, a meeting of the Pentarchy. He arrives on a horse. He looks super badass. He jumps off the horse. They're like, give us your weapons. He's got the map across his back. It looks like a samurai sword. He just looks really super cool. Anyway, the Pentarchy's gathered. He's got to convince them to join him to uh, attack Zadia. Uh, meanwhile, on a ship somewhere, some s- idiot kids are floating around with a really cool pirate, and uh, he's t- blind. Five back seconds. to Viren. Ah, back to Viren in the group. He's really got to convince them, but that's where the story ends. You got to go to the next episode. And that's it. That's there. It is right there. <laughs> so, so bad. Oh, it's so good though. It's so good. <laughs> that's what makes these good. Is that they're mm-hmm. they're uh, they're tough. I like. I to this day we have not got one listener to send in a thirty second recap, and they can like delete it and restart it and delete it and restart it yeah. until they get it perfect. And I haven't had one send a funny one in yet, and so oh. I'm waiting, listeners. Remember, yeah. you can send in a thirty second recap. We will play it on the episode. That'd be awesome. Please do. Yeah, it's especially for an upcoming episode. That'd be super neat. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, 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 okay. So my turn. Yeah, stop stalling. Right. Yeah, sorry. I got I got to do what I got to do. All right, here we go. On my mark, get set. Okay, so Viren shares scary vision of Zadia to the Pentarchy after getting his mansplaining butt kicked by Queen Anya, and then Callum broods and Ezrin naps on a ship, and then Anya's convinced, and there's a flashback with Harrow and Sarai, and then the rulers of Durin seek help from Catullus, and then Harrow says yes, and then Viren's worried about resources, and Bait feels lonely and joins Callum, and then Viren researches Magma Titan, and then, you know, Sarai, like, he's, she's against killing it, and then Viren's like, no, he's kind of jealous of Sarai's second and then Callum's finally begins to break the seal of flashback, and the gang breaks metaphorical seal with the titan <sighs> wow that's really good you got a lot of info in there the whole titan thing and wow you know it does i, I do a lot better when i prepare <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah not just watching and going i got this yeah i just you forget so much um oh, yeah but you know it's part of the the fun is that yeah. you know you just start throwing things around and Hopefully, it's part of the episode. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I mentioned the the. No, I didn't even mention the journey to the Magma Titan once. So, yeah, very good. That's why we do it twice. You get yeah. some, I get some. We get everything. Yeah. And by everything, I mean big points. Some some things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so perspective, like what's a moment for you what's a moment of perspective that you noticed in this episode that uh was brought to your attention after diving in and rewatching? uh well i think oh man i think part of this i feel i felt like i, I felt like it was cheating a little bit having rewatched it after i'd seen everything today yeah um so it's hard to have a fresh perspective when I know what's going to happen for sure. Uh, but hearing some of the lines and I'm going to, I'm going to defer to Viren a lot here, of course. Um, uh, Cause this, these are two of my favorite episodes that to re- that we recorded. I love the storytelling mm-hmm. and it does deal a lot with perspective and hindsight. And when we go back to, or we go forward to season three, we go, Oh, Viren yeah. talked about this. Yeah. So the perspective really is, you know, some of my favorite lines are talking about, um, uh, you know, when he closed his eyes, I see fire raining down, death and destruction everywhere. I wrote that dragons, down. you know, and I, I think that he's telling a really big, fantastical story, and it's uh, it's there to grip people, but uh, that's prophecy, you know. That, there, there's some truth there. Uh, so perspective, though, um, I th- I struggled with. I don't know if it was perspective so much as putting this grand story uh, this epic adventure that they took to get the magma titan and p- trying to boil it down to like the human effort and the human yeah. 
aspect of it when you know they can i spoil things for season three yeah we do spoilers for sure yeah okay so you know just the fact that uh these three uh strong beautiful human beings die in the effort to uh save so you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands so um does that put things in perspective for me i i guess it does it's it's a it's an old story it's interesting how this being told alongside like what will be next episode in terms of perspective like with harrow's story alongside this with in terms of callum's letter that's coming yeah yeah with this that whole like interplay is really interesting to get um how history when we know of it and depending on what side of it we learn can drastically affect how we see the world right Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because for the pentarchy here they are hearing this fantastical story of dragons and assassins and all these things. And four of them are like, sure, we'll do whatever. They're kind of pushovers. And then Anya's like, not convinced. <laughs> and then Viren dives into this story, right? So he is like master tactician in terms of communicating and connecting with people. Right. It's fascinating to watch because this tact didn't work. He is so adept that he can switch moves, take a left turn and say, let me tell you a story here because I want you to see it from my perspective. And here's where my question is, and you might be able to help me with this. How much can we trust this flashback if it is all from Viren's perspective? Right, right. Uh, that's a very good question. I've, I've been asked that more times than I can remember. <laughs> truthfully it's uh is Viren telling the truth here yeah how how, i don't want to answer this with a here's what actually happened yeah here's no Uh, definitive answer (laughs) um but uh how much can we trust um going by what we know from Viren from seasons one up to the middle of season two uh versus what we know from season middle of season two to end of uh, end of season three right now I think those are two different virins to to deal yeah, with. But for sure. if we were just up to this point, he's, you know, there's some shady stuff going down with Viren. Right? Um, there is. So I don't think the viewer could, can actually say, oh, this is all 100% truth. And what's so great is, is uh, what I love is showing, they show, they we can hear Sarai's last breath and Viren saying I was there but you can't see it but you can't see it <laughs> that's what I'm saying I'm and just then, sitting here going like uh-huh yeah but okay. it sounds it sounds um so intimate and um heartbreaking yeah and then we see later and we go what is he doing what is what's going on exactly yeah. so yeah do I to answer your question plainly which I should have done right off the bat uh no, I don't think you can trust necessarily anyone in that position to be telling the truth because you're right. He is yeah. a master at what he does, which means he is can be very manipulative. Right. And it's one of those things where when we are using the skeleton of the truth and we are only shifting a few of the details, it's really hard to parse out what is fact from fiction, right? right. And from a telling story, uh, a storytelling perspective, it's one of those things where my buddy Sunshine, who I co-host the Avatar portion of the podcast with, he is so good at hyperbolizing points for the sake of the story, where the story is like bare bones true, but he like just alters it enough to where it's like a really good story. And it's one of those things where like he does it without even thinking because that's just his, that's the way he does things in order to to kind of make it funnier or whatever the story, whatever the goal of the story is. And I'm sitting here going like, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's just like it is, but it's true enough to where you can't really call it out. And I wonder. Uh, <laughs> see, there, it's true enough, right? That's which exactly. Means 
there's something that isn't true. Yeah. Well, it's and it's and it's lie of omission, really. Yeah. It's wording it in such a way that I don't have to share this portion of the truth. And I think that that is a massive thing to think about in terms of perspective taking, especially for however old Anya is to be like, I don't have all the information I need to make a, a good decision here. Whereas everybody else is like, yeah, sounds scary. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and so I, I'm curious, can we, can we talk about Anya for a second? Because yeah. you got your butt whipped here. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Here's my question. Um, I, I, I think I mentioned it in the recap. Uh, so Viren is what I dub mansplaining to, mm-hmm. to Anya. And it's, it's, and it seems like he's, you know, just, he's from an older generation. That's a, there's literal child learning about war. We're about to talk about death and destruction. And I, I can, there's a lot of things I can say that would like back Viren up here. <laughs> and I also am really curious because you know, when she goes on this line and says, well, it seems like I'm a queen without an adult and you are you know, adult without a crown. Right. And tell like from you, when you were living into Viren's uh, lines in this scene, what right. was his perspective? Was it that he, what, was he underestimating her? Was he underestimating children? Was he underestimating the fact that she was not only a child, but also a woman? It, like, what are the assumptions at play as he kind of navigates this scene for, at least in your kind of mind? Yeah. Um, I always wanted to approach Viren as the smartest guy in the room, mm-hmm. but but he's not. He's not always the smartest guy, but it, it's very cool as the actor to go, yeah, my character is like really smart. He's the smart guy. Everyone thinks he's evil, but really he's got this plan. But he's not always the smartest guy in the room. He may think he is though. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it was, I, this is very interesting because I, I thought we've got to be careful and not assume that everyone else, the other adults, the three other members are, they're not dummies. Sure. They, they, they're in the positions they're in for a certain reason. And, uh, uh, you know, they've got history. They understand war, maybe war tactics. They understand, but, at the same time, they had they they hold Viren in in a, a high regard um, because Catullus is what it is, and he is who he is. So they went with it, uh, but she sees through that because she doesn't have all of that stuff, the years of that, mm. um, and uh, having children, watching them listen to me about things, they take that all in. They go, "Huh, yeah, yeah, yeah." But as they got older, they they could become more discerning. And you can see Absolutely. your kids, you can see the wheels turning in as they're thinking about what you said. So if you lie to them, or if I lie to them in a, in a, like a, if I tell them a, in a joking way, I tell them a lie or something, or I try to be funny and they're, they're like, mm, you're lying, dad. <laughs> <laughs> you do this thing, or you get me, you make this face or whatever it is. Uh, so I thought it was wonderful to see that she, uh, um, she maybe doesn't see through what he's saying because like you said, he's, he's a tactician and he's trying to use hyperbole and, and she kind of just sees that there's an, an untruth there somewhere or she does, she's not getting the whole story. Yeah. Um, you know, I have like, you talking about this is lifting up something for me. I'm, so I worked with um, kids, campers uh, and so ages like, five all the way to 18 for you know quite a while uh about 20 years now and i guess 15 years and anyway that's beside the point uh what i've come to realize is that when adults often will you know preach values and then not follow them themselves so there's preached values versus practiced values And what that does is it really shapes perspective for children because what they see is what, what they hear is different from what they see. And what I think what we're describing with, with Anya and with your children is where all of a sudden we're starting, we're starting to have enough perspective to see the difference and see that people are saying that this is a good thing and not actually following through with it. And that's causing some cognitive dissonance. And the problem is, in our culture, it seems like 
it is always a problem when we are called out by a younger generation because they're like saying this isn't right you said this <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're like no but here's this law that says otherwise because we're you know <clears throat> white men in power who are instituting laws for people and all of a sudden there's a lot of controversy because people are being called out for not practicing what they are preaching and it's just interesting to hear about how children have that unique perspective compared to older, like age, right? Wisdom sure. is not always better. <laughs> and guess. sometimes it does manifest itself in a younger person. Just, just they, they say something or they have a wise, there's a, there's a wisdom to something they say. I don't know if that's actually true. Is wisdom actually age-based? I don't know. Right. Do you have to have experience to be wise or can you be an eight-year-old who says something or a 12-year-old who says something and everyone goes, that's very wise. Even my yeah, 18-year-old doesn't know those words. Yeah. I think oftentimes we underestimate children and that I think that comes to bite us in the butt a lot. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. 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 So moving to this, this moment, and you already talked about this, like when I close my eyes, I see fire. I'm curious about this because his, the storytelling technique here, he could have just told this story, but instead he's like, here's also some like theater. <laughs> yeah. He's like using his magic to like give these visuals that are uh, like, you see a picture of Rayla, you know, in, in the daylight. And then you see these like shadow red eyed elves that are like mon monstrous. And it's just interesting because it's that kind of perspective that really incites fear in other people. And so I'm curious, where is the line between when we start to believe the lies that we're telling? And I'm curious about Viren's perspective here. So when he closes his eyes and sees fire, is he actually seeing fire? And is he buying into this narrative that he's sharing and telling? Or or not or is no, this I, like masterfully aware that this is stretching i think he my personal opinion is that he sees what he knows what can happen yeah uh, you know he knows that uh, perhaps the their kingdom can be overtaken i don't think he wakes up in a cold sweat seeing dragons raining down on them um but he knows that to paint that picture mm -hmm. people, they everyone will be susceptible because here's this very powerful dark mage who says, I bring you warning. I've had visions. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And there's dragons and there's elves and fire. And everyone goes, ah, this is what he sees. We better believe him. But yeah. I think inside it's okay. Next step of the plan. Next step yeah. of the plan. Interesting. Pull the curtain on this one and scare them. Uh, no, I don't think he, I don't think he legitimately sees what he said he sees but it's certainly using it as, as a tactic he knows yeah. that's going to happen yeah if they're well, not careful but it, well it's it's one of those things where it's like it's certainly possible but the way if we like only by doing this can we counteract it when really there are a lot of ways to potentially avoid that as a and so it's, it's just interesting sure. when, when we believe there's only one way or this is the best way, what we're willing to do to get other people on board. But I mean, you know, what's, what's more powerful? I'm pretty sure guys that if we're not careful, we're going to be overrun by elves and dragons will decimate us. Or I have had a vision, dragons <laughs> raining fire down on us, elves attacking, cutting our throats, stealing our children. Uh, you know, well, honestly, the second one's gonna affect people more. <laughs> I'd say at large, right? But for me, one of the things I think about, like what is more compelling in terms of getting a group of leaders who are not in actual danger at this point, what is more compelling in terms of a logical argument, right? Do I want to convince you by making you scared or do I want you to buy into this without being scared, knowing that you'll be more committed later? That's my perspective, right? Yeah. And so I, I wonder if Viren would have been more successful and would have been able to convince Anya if he had gone about it by not trying to scare her into it, 
you know? Because I, I hear you that the, the math yeah. populace is 100% going to be more uh, likely to act when you hear the, the reigning fire and terrorism, you know, per spiel versus, hey, this is likely we should prepare for this. But right? he did change tactics, though. True. Right? He, he had that whole uh, face squeeze. And then you can see him thinking, he goes, can I tell you a story? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let me exasperated. Like, <laughs> so he did away with the, with the drama and the, the fire show and all the lights. And he said, here's a story that you'll connect with. And hopefully this changes your mind. Cause I'm talking specifically about your parents. Yeah. And of course, as we know, Oh, oh wait, I don't want to jump the gun on next episode. Next episode. Yeah. So, okay. I want to, keep on going here but tap into something that you said at the beginning about like one of the things that Viren is really uh leaning into in his uh rhetoric is the what's the phrase common humanity is that what he says um uh, yeah we must join together to protect our common humanity right and this is like this is the end of his speech and what I find really interesting that I want to c- compare this to Sarai in the flashback is Viren sees the humanity in humans alone. Whereas Sarai sees the humanity in this magma Titan and in sentient beings. And she, she goes into this sparring match with Harrow and is saying, is it sentient? Does it think, is it the last of its kind? And just goes on this like, a uh, series of questions that shows that she is thinking about the what one might call humanity of this quote monster, um, and I, I find it interesting because when we start to see the humanity in non-human, all of a sudden, I wonder what happens to humanity. Like, how, what? How does our perspective shift when we start to? value the humanity and things other than human does that make sense yes what are your thoughts <laughs> um yeah I, wow i don't know um i of course see that and i i i have a great deal of i don't know if you can have a great deal of respect for a cartoon character but what what uh sarai represents i certainly do absolutely um, it's a big question i know yeah i i I know that it's i i think that she i think that she i think she sums up very quickly yeah um how we all should feel and probably most people do um but at the same time i i I look at what viren has to say and uh can i can i cut through some of that and and say well this is also just as important for us it does leave certain things out in the cold, like addressing these questions. Is it a, is it a sentient being? Does it have a family? And really he, I think, you know, his bottom line is who cares? I can save hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. But if you put that toward another human being, if I murder this human being, is that going to save a whole bunch of people? Uh, that becomes a heavier question immediately, of course, uh, as it should, but would it change? Would that change Viren's mind? uh i don't i don't know that it would and i think we've seen that yeah i just find it really interesting because the act of dehumanization is what leads mankind to war right right it also is what leads to genocide it's one of the the signs of impending and upcoming genocide is start to dehumanize and call quote the other side uh start calling them names right and Uh, You know, what this reminds me of is, so I've been, again, I've been in school. I've been, I just finished, thank goodness, uh, with my first year. Um, Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of the concept of the Imago Dei, which is the image of God, which is seen in human beings. But uh, when we start to kind of re-envision the Imago Dei and what if we saw, you know, 
the Imago Dei and more than mankind. And I think that's what Sarai is doing here. And that's showing a moral efficacy that is different than Viren's, right? And I, I, the, the, I guess an example, there's a, a quote from a, a circus advertisement from, um, I think, 1846, I want to read. This is uh, Susan Nance's Entertaining Elephants. In the beginning of the world, as we are taught by the Holy Scriptures, God said unto man, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I surrender to thee control, and thou shalt have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowls of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth, shalt thou have dominion. And then goes on to say that it was intended by his wisdom that he, unto whom he had confided so much, should become acquainted and familiar with the subjects over which he should exercise his rule. Hence, it became necessary that man should study the history of animated nature, making himself master of a science on which his own happiness depended. And so what that goes to is when we start to treat elephants and things like that and all of these creatures that are in the circus and whipping them and ruling over them, when we start to kind of pervert the Imago Dei and remove the image of God in these animals, we are able to treat them poorly. And we have learned over time that the circus is not humane. That's the language we use, right? And so I find it really interesting that I'm like seeing this in Sarai where we're able to see the quote image of God or humanity, if you will, in people and in elves and in even magma titans. But Viren is capitalizing on not seeing that and trying actively to prioritize humanity over. And so it seems like this is what exactly what this kind of deal is, where what would it be like if we started to change our perspective and value the grief of our ecosystem and losing our ozone and losing animals and losing all these things, the equivalent of losing our humanity yeah. humanity and morality yeah exactly um, and I, one thing i find interesting is that we see this waffling and maybe it's not a waffling maybe it's a, a two sides of the same coin uh harrow saying i will do what it takes to help durin and mm-hmm. uh, we will we will share in their suffering and then the flip side is who cares if this creature is what it is who knows if it's sentient who knows if it has a family it will save hundreds of thousands of people and it's like uh where's the line where is that line yeah it gets very blurry because sarai's on one side and viren's on the other and harrow just sort of i don't want to say waffle is probably a bad word but he's not very clear but maybe in his mind or the way he was written it's those are two different things yeah beast beast that doesn't do anything for them but save people yeah if they use it versus we need to stop you know many people from dying by sharing in their grief and sharing in some of their death but less people will die i think a lot of people if not most people would argue that a hundred thousand lives is likely worth a magma titan but I think what the, the questions that Sarai was asking of like, what about, how is it affecting the ecosystem? What if like, what happens if we take out this magma titan and all of a sudden it completely shifts an entire like part of the continent that we just don't know about. And so anyway, that's kind of big, big, big questions that, but it's interesting that Sarai is asking them because we don't see that very often. <laughs> no. no, I like it. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. 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 So in terms of, I want to kind of venture over to uh, the, the boat away from Viren for a second. Yeah, sure. So Callum is all up in his feelings, right? All up in there. And he is losing by opening this letter. He views that he is losing Harrow like for real, for real, because after he reads the last word, like there's nothing more. Yeah. potentially maybe we'll see uh nothing more and 
I, I find that perspective to be really interesting. And I'm curious, uh, how do we how do we feel about that perspective from Callum about like, oh, this is the last one, uh, last words? Well, I mean, it, I hold on to that kind of stuff really tightly, really dearly, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea of if I read something that someone I love wrote to me and they're they're gone, this is this is the last surprise. This is the last thing that uh, that they will have said to me. Uh, and then, yeah, well, just parroting what you just said. Uh, and then that sound that feels devastating and it feels like great loss on top of an already tangible loss, right? Oh, this person has died. I know that. And I go through that. And then here's this thing that they've written to me and I can hear their voice in my head and anything past this will be me remembering what they've said or me putting words in their mouth that didn't actually happen, but I can hear their voice saying, so to me, that's it. That's very heartbreaking. And, uh, and from a tech from a production side jack did did an absolutely fantastic job conveying you know the 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 words that were written for him and uh, that just sucks me in because uh just working jack's working with jack is great but he hearing hearing him you know perform that and hearing callum say those things it uh yeah i get a little uh right yeah (laughs) and so what i love about the the all the titles for the episodes are like really spot on. Cause there's always like four meetings to the title. Sure. Um, and for this one, breaking the seal, I find it really compelling to kind of think about because there are multiple seals that being, that are being broken in this episode. And I find it really the juxtaposition, I guess not juxt- that's probably the wrong word, but the parallel of Amaya hammering down on the magma titan at the end just as Callum is breaking the seal yeah. is you know <clears throat> metaphorical in the sense of Sarai talking about what this this concept of a slippery slope and I'm really interested to hear about that because the breaking the seal on the envelope makes like that's a pretty literal meaning here but breaking the seal by like tapping into this dark magic with the magma titan seems like a whole nother seal and sarai describes it as it's a slippery slope and the slippery slope logic is kind of like a like it's not real right it's a there there is no like you can do one and then not keep going but the argument is that once you do it it's just easier to keep doing more and more and more and i'm curious about your perspective on slippery slope logic as well as breaking the seal in this moment impact it had on the future the slippery slope logic that's something i've not really thought about i I definitely love where you're going with that as far as breaking the seal goes i did actually have this thought of you can still not do this yeah still back out of this if you break that seal on that letter you don't have to read that you can put it in a drawer right broken but but man you stick that spear in that thing's chest it is game on and you can't stop and go okay well well you know what never mind we've changed our mind <laughs> it it's coming for you so yeah. once once that seal is broken you've got uh, your hands full and you can't change your mind uh, but you know callum doesn't have to move forward with reading the letter but it's of course he has to yeah um, he has to because his dad told him to his dad wants him to do that it's his own fear saying uh, I'm afraid to do this because then I'll lose him forever. Yeah. Um, but a slippery slope. Um... Well, it's a logical fallacy. Like to say, well, that's a slippery slope because it's assuming that people are going to continue to make the decision after they. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Um, and with, you know, the foresight that we have, or at, at least for me through season three and for you potentially through longer with that foresight, we know that, it, that slippery slope is like, yep, it was slippery. <laughs> like, um, and, and we slipped, right? Yeah. But using that as an argument is is a logical fallacy because it assumes that people are going to slip rather than. Um, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know. Um, and so I agree with her. It is a slippery slope, and we can't assume that people like it, it, using that as an argument assumes the worst rather than assumes the best. You know. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, I'm just thinking about choices and ramifications and uh, Sarai saying this is potentially wrong and how do we, but she's the one who, you know, throws the death blow. Right. Eventually that kills this thing. And is her just joining them? Well, eventually her joining them leads to her own death. And is that even, is that considered a, <clears throat> no, no, that's something different, but um, wow, that's a real, that's, that is a, Ooh. that is a deep thought. Right. Well, it's interesting because like logical fallacies are like, we buy into them until we know what they are until, until yes. Right. Until we can understand why it's a logical fallacy, but until then we buy into it. And it's interesting to see how Viren weaves in like logical fallacies into his rhetoric on top of, you know, being a masterful storyteller, but having these random, like, if we do, it's like creating false, false binaries, right? Saying, well, if you do this, then this is going to happen no matter what. So it's either you're with me or you're against me. And it's, you know, that kind of false binary. No, actually I can, I can be with you and against you. And that's what we see Sarai do again. She does that with Harrow, right? And she says, Hey, I disagree with you, but I'm still going to stand by you. Yeah. And it's just really beautiful because I, I think I'm just I'm so like bought into Sarai being like queen of awesome. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, I, I love that line, though. That's that is one of my favorite lines of the show. I've got a couple, but I also love that how that. It, tra it not transcends, but it really uh, shifts to this ar argument or belief that I've, I've talked with so many people about over the years now. Uh, between Viren and Harrow's relationship mm. using dark magic and not to, you know, maintain the security and the safety of their kingdom. Um, I disagree with you, but, uh, you know, we are side by side on this. And, yeah. and eventually we get to the, I am the king, you are a servant of the kingdom. And we get that butting of heads and there's that power. It's not even a power shift. He is in power. Yeah. But that fact that, you know, I disagree with what you want to do, but go ahead and do it because you know that it's going to work and I trust you, but I disagree with it. Yeah. And I think that's interesting to see that shift to Harrow and his wife. I, I, I find that the, the metaphor for me that I've been thinking about and mulling over as we, I watched was comparing dark magic to fossil fuels in this ah. of, you know, like, oh, it's a slippery slope. Once we start doing this, then all of a sudden it's like, we're never going to be able to stop. And what we're seeing is that, no, there are other options. We have very viable options, <laughs> but the problem is there's so much money wrapped up in um, fossil fuels that getting convincing people to change or rather convincing corporations to change is really difficult. And I wonder if that's the allure of capitalism, right? That is convincing. And so the, the metaphor of like dark magic being, you know, the nebulous like lure of capitalism and social cultural, like this is our only option. It's it, mm. this is the option when really it's like solar energy. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, I, you know, there, it's just, I find it really interesting to kind of think about it from, from that perspective. Yeah. Okay, what do you have any other big moments from the show before we kind of uh, take a short musical interlude and then come on back with our lens MVP and our gratitude? Oh, there's so many things we could talk about, but no, let's right. uh, let's move forward. Let's move forward. All right, you heard it, folks. We're going to take a short musical interlude, and you will be back momentarily in your ears. glad you're here thanks for joining us and staying with us uh 
Jason is still with us and we are moving into our Lens MVP. And this, remember everybody, is the award we are nominating a character for. That means they did the Lens best, which again, today is perspective. So Jason. Yes, Ben. Who is your nominee for the Lens MVP and why? It is Sarai. All right. Okay. 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 Um, because I, uh, I love that she's a grounding. She's a, she's like a grounding rod for, mm. me for certain. Again, it, again, I, I have a certain bias towards things. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have to, but I do. Uh, but I love her perspective on these, on what's about to happen, or what should or shouldn't happen. Yeah. And when it does, she's still there and you know, I, we know, I know that she feels a certain way, but she is fully in it with her husband and things change yeah, quickly for them, but she is still engaged 100%, but we still know what her perspective is. She does not flip flop. She has to act to save her immediate family, the people there, but there's also the greater picture uh, this is a very vague way of putting this, but um, I appreciate and I, I, I recognize or it's uh, her perspective on the whole thing is what I um, agree with the most, I think. Yeah. Agree with. It resonates in me the most. I think thoughts on it. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you heard it, folks. We have Jason's nomination as Queen Sarai for very valid and great reasons. My nomination is Queen Anya. Uh, and uh-huh. I think in terms of perspective, one of the things that I really value is that when people hear, I, I really value calm. And calm looks like taking a deep breath and saying, I am undecided. And being comfortable in that not having all the information and not having to make a decision because in a world where we are so pressured to be certain and have the answer mm-hmm. or someone as young as she is to come in and be potentially uncomfortable in that indecision, but courageous enough to live in that perspective and not um, shy away from it is just, it's unreal. And it's wisdom beyond my age. So, <laughs> so I just, I'm, I'm nominating her for the lens MVP because um, I think due to her age, she wins over Sarai. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. in this episode, the day this episode releases, we're going to try and release a Twitter poll and say, who do you vote for among the nominees? And we're going to see who wins. Oh, that's great. And you made a better argument. Was it me or was it Jason? Oh, not based on the character's choices, but on our arguments. Oh, wow. I'm just trying to shift their perspective. Yeah, exactly. I want to win here. You are a far better uh, orator and argumenter than I am. Yeah, debatable, but it's okay. Okay, which brings us to our final segment uh, for this episode, which is gratitude. Gratitude, phenomenal attitude, but a better practice. So... We want to practice this because it helps lift up some joy in us. Uh, we talked about joy earlier this season. I think oh, that was last episode. We talked about joy. So joy is pretty great. And we know yeah. it's gratitude. So, all right, Viren, Jason, <laughs> either one, who are you most grateful for in, in this episode? Uh, well, it has almost nothing to do with what we've been talking about. Totally fine. But, but maybe it does. Um, I, I, I think I'm grateful for uh, Harrow mm. and just what he has to say to his his son and the content of that. I mean, it's a, that's a deep. It's so deep and it's so there's so many levels. You are not my birth son, but I love you as as though you were. And even though I'm now dead, oh. uh, I want to. I need to impart upon you wisdom and love especially love 
Yeah. Wisdom he can read in a book, he can read on the paper, but to know that he wants, he needs Callum to know that he loves him uh, very much. And uh, man, again, I just go back to my own personal life. You know, I just, I always just want my kids, no matter what mistakes I make, I want my kids to always know that I love them. And I want the best for them. So that, uh, that does, uh, that strikes a big chord in me. Yeah. Well, we'll dive into that a little sneak peek for next episode. I'm sure that we will dive into that little. Oh, that he oh did I jump? Did I jump the gun there? Well, the speech is in next episode, but right, right. grappling with the letter is like the fact that he left this letter is very good reason. Like, like all of those things are true. Yeah. The fact that he was able to leave this letter, right? <laughs> I appreciate you trying to cover up my mistake. I totally jumped into the second episode there, the sixth episode. Yeah. No worries. But I mean, and they're, they're really tied up together anyway, because it's all the same flashback. Um, anyway. Okay. Okay. So grateful for Harrow leaving a incredible letter behind. And I think for me, I, I'm grateful for Callum and for this specifically for this moment with bait where like bait is turned away from Ezrin unintentionally. He gets swatted away while Ezrin is sleeping. At least I think it's unintentional. And um, bait is like, I'm being like replaced by this dragon and I'm no longer the, and you can just see this story play out through his color and through his grunting. And it's just, he goes down to, like try and hang out with Callum instead. And Callum is in his pain and was like, get away from me. And then Bates like also in his pain and is like, well, like no one loves me. And then the moment I'm grateful for is that Callum's able to step out of that and welcome Bait back. And he's yeah. able to, like that, that level of compassion to be able to like sit in that darkness with Bait and realize, okay, I, I can do something about this that speaks to Callum's character more than like anything else in this episode and, or really many other moments in the season. So I just, I found that really to be an awesome moment. Yeah. When he calls out to him and baits on the stairs and he just sort of turns back. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Gorgeous. It's a gorgeous scene. That's really nice. Okay. So I have uh, wonderful news, everyone. You can, Follow us at BNB underscore pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We have our new Bending Not Breaking Facebook group is open to everyone now. It used to be closed, but now it's just open to to anyone who's interested. You have to answer the questions to get in. That's all I'm saying. That's like the only requirement, answer the questions. Um, But other than that, uh, Jason, if you want people to find you, where can they find you on the social medias? Yeah, they can find me uh, on Twitter at at symbol at a boy Simpson, but not a boy Simpson. So, um, and on Instagram at Simpstagrams. Instagrams. Yeah. Excellent. So the other good news is that Jason has agreed to step in for this upcoming episode too. So you'll hear his voice again next week because We wanted to really do due diligence to these two episodes and they're his favorite in this season. So really exciting. In the series so far. Ooh, even better. Yeah. Well, this will be fun then. Well, everyone, we're, we're glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Um, and Jason. Yes. We'll see you next week. I can't wait. I'm going to sit here the entire week and wait. <laughs> All right, until next time, everybody, be well and do good.